So, can we begin this? MashaAllah, a lot of people came today we haven't seen in a while. Welcome. It's good to see you. MashaAllah. Bismillah. All right. So we left off in the poem. Author says, "Rahimahullah Taala, wa nafanallahu yahu bi alumihi fi darin." Amin. Ma huribat qatu illa aada min harbin aada aadi ilaha munqiya salami. No implacable foe has attacked them. Does anyone remember what the them is here? What is them referring to? This is like the favorite activity of Islamic studies classes. What does the pronoun refer to? Or does, where is it going back to? So when it says, no implacable foe has attacked them, what is them? Anyone recall? Should I read you the previous lines? Where is it? There's a lot of lines. It goes back a lot. It goes back to signs of truth from the all-merciful revealed within time yet pre-eternal, the attribute of him who is pre-eternal. Ayatu haqqin min al-Rahmani muhdathatun qadimatun sifatul mawsufi bin qidami. And then there is multiple lines about that and then it comes to attack them. The them refers to ayat. Ayat. The ayat of the Qur'an. This is the chapter on the merits and the virtues of the Qur'an, if you remember. So it's saying that no implacable foe has attacked them, but that he retreated from battle and sued for peace. So it's saying that people have tried to attack the Qur'an, tried to attack the verses of the Qur'an, tried to challenge them. And anytime anyone tries to challenge them, then they have to kind of humble themselves in front of the verses of the Qur'an. Uh, it says here in the commentary uh, The story of Al-Walid ibn Mughira Who heard the Prophet Sallallahu words And his recitation of the Quran And was affected by it And when Abu Jahan criticized him Al-Walid said By Allah there is no one amongst you More knowledgeable about poetry than me By Allah what he recites Does not resemble poetry in the least So he recognized this you know, you can attack the verses for whatever it is, but they're not poetry. And there's also the story of Abu Dhar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, whose brother was knowledgeable in poetry. And he went first, in one of the narrations it says that his brother went first to kind of like scope out the scene. And then Abu Dhar came afterwards and heard the Prophet Sallallahu and accepted Islam from him. But Abu Dhar said, by Allah, I did not, um, you know, when he's talking to his brother, says, by Allah, I did not hear poetry from my brother Unais. Indeed, he had defeated 12 of the poets of the age of ignorance. Meaning his brother was very strong in poetry. So this thing that he's hearing from his brother is not poetry. And Abu Dhar asked him, what are the people saying? And Unais replied, they are saying that he is a poet and a soothsayer and a sorcerer. But I have heard the words of soothsayers and it is not their words. I have compared it to the poetic meters and no one has come or ever will come with the like thereof. Verily he is truthful and they are liars. Sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. That this, this book stands on its own. 
Its style is its own style. It's not copying anything else. And someone who reads it objectively like that, and put everything to the side. Only you're, re you're reading just for style. The style is a different style. It's not the same. Uh, the way things are said, it's like uh, there's a story of one person who accepted Islam after reading the very beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. So he brought the, you know, he had the translation of the Quran, he read Surah Al-Fatiha, he's like, okay, nice. Gets to Surah Al-Baqarah, Baqarah begins, That is the book, there's no doubt in it. And the person was like, I'm, I believe that this book is from God. And they're like, why? He's like, because no author is going to start their book in the very beginning and say there's no doubt in anything that's coming in this book, and there's 600 pages afterwards. So like, how, how do they have that much, who would have that much, I don't want to say confidence because it's not the right word for Allah, but who would be able to say that about what they say? And he says, so this, the author of the book has to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu alam, you know, like take some of these stories, they're stories, you don't have to nitpick them, just take them as they are. You could say, no, this is, this is. okay, fine, alhamdulillah, someone was guided by it. May we be guided by it. May we be guided by it. There's also uh, an element that there are things, this, this is not in the commentary, and it came up, I think, in the week before recently, that the verses from the Qur'an also, they provide a level of protection for the person. So the person can protect themselves by reciting maybe Ayatul Kursi, reciting the three quls at the end of the Qur'an, reciting certain verses from the Qur'an. And so anything, any, any harm that was maybe going to become, come to them would be repelled by those verses, repelled by the, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just on the way over here, we were listening to uh, a lecture by Sheikh Ahmed Tahir Rayyan, rahimahullah ta'ala, um, who, who passed away recently, some of you may remember that. And he was telling a story of his with Surah Yasin. And he was talking about this idea of <coughs> sometimes a hadith can have a weakness in it, but it can still be true. And it can still have sound guidance in it, even if it has a little bit of weakness as it's in terms of its analysis, like uh, transmission analysis. So he was saying that, you know, there's a hadith of the Prophet Wasallam that Surah Yasin, Lima Quri Atna. That it's for whatever uh, you recited for. It's for whatever you recited for. And he said this narration has a little bit of weakness in it. There's weakness in this hadith. It's not a super sound hadith. But yet the people of knowledge over centuries have done this. They'll have any sort of situation. They'll read Surah Yasin, so on and so forth. And then he's like, uh, he tells a story, his own personal story. He says that one time in, the, in his work in the College of Sharia in Al-Azhar, <coughs> he had some sort of like exam or assessment and he, he put forth his papers, uh, his awraq for this assessment and he said he was really concerned because the council that was going to assess was shidad, he's like ulama shidad, I was afraid of them you know they're like very severe scholars and he's like so I read Surah Yasin multiple times you know asking protection and so on for, for this uh, assessment. He's like, then four or five months passed. Which is so <laughs> anyone who's done anything in Egypt understands that statement. <laughs> it's like a statement in the story no one else would pay attention to. 
But if yeah, the one who's lived there, they understand. He's like four or five months passed and then I got the results for my for my papers and alhamdulillah I was successful. You know, they promoted me to the position of Ustad. <laughs> four or five months to just like you wait and you wait and you wait and eventually you get the results. Uh, then he says, then one of the shiuch who was the one he was the most afraid of. He came to me and he pulled me to the side. He said, Yabni, qaratta alayya surat yaseen. He's like, and he started laughing. He said he started laughing, and the sheikh was like, "Why are you laughing?" You know, he told he pulled him to the side. He said, "Did you read Yasin on me?" The 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 one who was like test, you know, gave the results. Did you read Yasin on me? He started laughing. He's like, "What do you? Wh why do you ask that?" And he said, "Okay, here's what happened. Before we, I had a dream, and in the dream we were together as a group, the the people who were checking your work." And we had made some mulahallat ala araqib. You know, we made some notes. Some uh, notes is not the right word. Like, uh, huh? Observations. Like, yeah, but in the sense of like things that you did wrong. You know, like things that things that we were going to take you to task for. Essentially, maybe not wrong. Sometimes in these things, the, <laughs> the scholars will take people to task for things that like you put the comma in the wrong place. But we're notes that we were going to hold you accountable for. I had a dream that we were doing that, and then when we put we brought together all of the assessment, and we went to we were going to like take it out. Then we couldn't in the dream, and I woke up from the dream. He's like, then in real life, I actually I had my you know notes and my analysis, my critique of your your work, and I had written it down, and I took it to the meeting where we were going to assess your work. And when I got to the meeting and we tried to do the assessment, I had lost the papers. I couldn't find them. He's like, for khalas, like, after that, we just let it go. <laughs> like, we just passed you. So who cares after that? He's like, so what happened? He's like, yeah, you know, that's what happened. He, he read Yasin. So, Allahu alam, you know. He's like, but the narration has some weakness in it. The actual technical hadith analysis, there's some weakness in the narration. ردت بلاغتها دعوى معارضها ردا غيوري يد جاني عن حرمي Their sheer eloquence refutes the claim of their opponent as a jealous man wards off an assailant's hand from his wife So the it's it's a continuation of the idea that came before it that these verses are so eloquent that even if someone tries to do anything near near what they are, then they, they will be repelled from doing so. Uh, just like if someone came to harm someone's family, they would repel that person from harming their family. May Allah protect us and our families. And if we are ever in a situation where we have to protect them, may Allah give us victory. Decisive victory. Ameen. Uh, and this is narrated from many different people in Islamic history. Um, one story is the story of Ibn Muqaffa, who was the most eloquent man of his time, who tried to produce something similar to the Qur'an. And after that, he passed by a young boy who was reciting a verse. And when he heard the verse, he went home and he made tawbah. And he said, there's nothing that can come close to this Qur'an. There's nothing that... He just, he just... He was like working at it, working at it, working at it. And then he just heard some verse recited. And he was like, there's nothing that can come close. And there's many, many other stories like that as well. Um... And the Qur'an, again, stands on its own. 
لها معان كموج البحر في مدد وفوق جوهره في الحسن والقيم they contain meanings like the sea's bountiful waves and surpass the sea's jewels in beauty and value uh, sayyidna ali radiyallahu ta'ala anhu wa karramallahu wajha he said if i wish to fill 100 camel loads with exposition on the meanings of the surah al-fatiha the opening of the book i could do so it's attributed to him there's stories like this of different scholars too that maybe they would sit to do tafsir and this is i think i mentioned a couple sessions ago that many times tafsir would be the last thing that a scholar writes in their life because the when they when they go to write tafsir they bring to bear on it all of the different disciplines that they spent their life in in the in the quran itself in the hadith in the all the different sciences of islamic studies so when they come to give commentary on the quran they see all of they they're able to bring so many different things they bring what's clear what's indicated what what could be connected to it so on and so forth uh, <coughs> and hasan radiyallahu anhu he said allah has revealed 104 scriptures he deposited their sciences in four of them that remained the torah the gospel the psalms and the furqan the quran then he deposited the sciences of the first three in the quran so out of all the scripture that came all of that was contained in the Torah and the Gospel and the Psalms and the Qur'an and the first three are all in the Qur'an and one narration of this statement says after that and all of that is in Surah Al-Fatiha all of that is in Surah Al-Fatiha now you go back and you see the statement of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu who said if I wanted to fill a thousand camel loads I could do it on Surah Al-Fatiha because he's going to bring out the entirety of the Qur'an from Surah Al-Fatiha and from the entirety of the Qur'an, the entirety of the life of the Prophet and the entirety of all the previous scriptures, all of it is going to be coming out of this source, this wellspring. Someone said, says someone, no one has encompassing knowledge of the Qur'an save its speaker, save Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody knows everything there is to know about the Qur'an except for Allah. And Allah will reveal or He'll open people's hearts to different understandings from the Qur'an as He wills subhanahu wa ta'ala. Apart from that which He preserved for Himself exclusively, Allah has details its, details its meanings to His Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and that knowledge was later inherited by the bulk of the Prophet's companions Even though there were disparities among them in its understanding They include Abu Bakr who was the most knowledgeable among them And Ali about whom the Prophet said I am the city of knowledge and Ali is its gate Ibn Abbas said All of the tafsir that I have disclosed to you has come from none but Sayyidina Ali The important, there's an important issue here which says that whatever Allah wanted to give us from the knowledge of the Qur'an He gave to the Prophet and then the companions of the Prophet took that knowledge from him and part of what's important about what's being said there is that this is how knowledge was preserved this is how deen is preserved this is a deen that's mawruth in the end of the day it's deen mawruth it's an inherited religion 
We got it from the Prophet He gave it to his companions His companions gave it to their students Their students gave it to their students All the way up to today And each generation did their part In terms of like working with it And analyzing it And figuring out what is cha- what changes And what stays the same And how it's applied And so on and so forth As worked through in every single generation So it's inherited and it's living at the same time It's inherited and living at the same time It's the way the tradition is The tradition is not like a just something that's stagnant but the principles are, are are inherited and their application might shift depending on the circumstances in certain things and in other things it won't okay the quran he gives like a long uh i'll read this one the author's comparison of the quran's sublime meanings to the waves of the sea is beautiful if you go back now to the verse the verse said, they contain meanings like the sea's bountiful waves. They being the verses, contain meanings like the sea's bountiful waves and surpass the sea's jewels in beauty and value. So he says that the an analogy to the waves of the sea is beautiful. When a wave comes from the sea and is seen by an onlooker, he stares attentively at it. And no sooner does it come than another, even greater and more massive, follows in its wake. And so the onlooker looks on even more. The same may be said with regard to a single verse of the Qur'an. No sooner does a knowledgeable contemplative discover a meaning within it than another meaning comes to him or her that is greater than the one preceding it. That, of course, is in proportion to the degree of one's knowledge. These meanings that are disclosed compared to those that are not disclosed are but like a drop in the ocean. This is, respect, this is with respect to the erudite scholars who possess penetrating insight and expertise in the sciences and who have plunged into the depths of the complex meanings and abstruse concepts. So it's saying that every, gen- every, every verse of the Qur'an is like another wave in the ocean. And the next wave gives you more. The next wave gives you more. And the next wave gives you more. And if you, go into its, if you go into its depths, you find jewels. And you go deeper and you find more jewels. And you go deeper and you find more jewels. And this is why they say that uh, one could have in, uh, in their life different types of readings of the Qur'an so one might have for example a reading of the Qur'an that they finish quickly it's not meant to be a very deep reading it's meant to be a I maintain my relationship with the verses I try to go more quickly and then they might at the same time have a medium paced reading like they want to understand it not necessarily super deeply but just generally what does this mean and they follow it and so on and then maybe they have another reading Imam Ghazali says maybe the person has another reading they, they finish it once in their lifetime That they look so deeply at every single verse And every single story And the connections and so on and so forth That that reading will take them their entire lifetime to finish Reading once And so they're engaging with many different layers Because depending on which way that we look at it The Quran will give us different things And when we engage in, in different levels Then we get and, and as we age As we see things differently As we gain more wisdom As our hearts become purer as we free ourselves from different uh, things that might be holding us down, then we can see things in the Qur'an that maybe we didn't see before, even though they were right in front of us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us basira. فَمَا تُعَدُّ وَلَا تُحْصَى عَجَائِبُهَا وَلَا تُسَامُ عَلَى الْإِكْثَارِ بِالسَّأَمِ And their marvels can neither be counted nor numbered, and frequent repetition never gives rise to tedium. Frequent repetition never gives rise to tedium. Some of them might hear that and say, but when I frequently recite the Qur'an, I do sometimes, if I'm honest with myself, get a little bit tired. 
We get tired if the heart checks out. If the heart checks out, we're going to get tired. But if the heart doesn't check out, then we could recite the same verse if we really understand. This is the issue. right? Like We have to really know who Allah is. I know who Allah is, generally. I know He is my Lord and He knows I know He's the Creator and I witness His beauty in the creation and I'm just enamored by the way that the leaves move in the wind and I glorify Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and I know that every single word that I read from His book and every single letter that I read from His book is from Him and it's a special message to me, His servant and I'm going to, so when I read Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen I can read Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen over and over and over and over again and I feel I feel even better about it every single time that I recite it. This is this is what actually we should uh, strive for. Is if the heart is really alive, it can do this. And this is, you have stories from the Prophet wasallam, right? That the Prophet wasallam prayed the whole night and he was reciting one verse over and over again. That there are righteous people they just write they they recite Surah Al-Ikhlas in every in every rak'ah of their salat. And they're like, why? Not because what we would do now, because it's the short one. But they recite Allah in every single one because it's one third of the Quran. And it gives all of the meaning of ikhlas and who is Allah. It gives me everything I need to know about who is Allah. So I want to recite it over and over and over again. And then so that repetition then, it doesn't die. And this is like one of uh, our teachers would always say that this is the kind of relationship that the person should have with the most important things. He said, for example, you could take like a basic text in Nahu. He's like, and I could teach a basic text in Aqidah, 15 lines. He's like, I could teach this my whole life. I'll teach it over and over and over and over again. Because every single time I'm going through this, I'm going through the most fundamental things that we believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said in this context too, that like every single day that we're married should be like the first day. The excitement and the joy that you have to be with your spouse and the way that you look at them and what you observe from them and so on that this is the way that every single day should be because every single day we should be living like this and uh, that's why the story that we always tell about the person who went to uh, saw one of his teachers and the teacher asked him how are you and he responded and he, he said you know alhamdulillah same old same old and he said a'udhu billah and he turned around and walked away the shaykh said a'udhu billah turned around and walked away <laughs> Why? Because it's never same old, same old. And that's the point about the verse from the Qur'an. I can recite the verse. The next second I recite the verse is not the same as the second before. The next day that I recite the verse is not the same as the day before. And the next day that I'm married is not the, day, it's not the same as the day before. So on and so forth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us hearts that are alive. Their marvels can neither be counted nor numbered and frequent repetition never gives rise to tedium if the heart is present قرت بها عين قاريها فقلت له لقد ظفرت بحبل الله فاعتصمي what a beautiful line they delighted the one who recited them so I told him you have the rope of Allah so hold fast to it now these verses they, the person who read them they, they loved it they, they thought it was so beautiful they were inspired by it and so on so I said to them you have the rope of Allah فاعتصمي this is the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Quran so take, this is what's in your hand, so hold on to it and, and grab it tight. Grab it tight. Furthermore, tranquility descends when one recites the verses of the Qur'an. And one's home is illumined and the angels rejoice. 
as do the believers among the jinn and those who live in his home. <laughs> you thought your home was just you. The other, the other things that are living in the house, they like to hear the Qur'an too. Don't, don't deprive them. Al-Bukhari and Muslim both recorded in their rigorously authenticated collections on the authority of Usaid ibn Hudayr, who said that one night as he was reciting the Qur'an, I saw what appeared like a cloud containing lamps. It ascended in the sky until I could no longer see it. Whereupon I went to the emissary of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and informed him. He said, those were the angels listening to your recitation. Had you continued reciting, people would have seen it, and it would have not been concealed from them. So he saw lights that were going up into the sky. He said, what is this? Prophet said, those were the angels that were uh, listening to your recitation. When the recitation finished, they went up back into the heavens. He says, there is no doubt that a person who recites the Qur'an will have his heart filled with joy, and his chest expanded by the rewards and recompense he receives for its recitation. His home will be illumined, and the angels and those residing in the home will experience delight and will supplicate for him. This is especially true if the reciter is granted understanding of the verses and is given the ability to act on them. For then he or she will be told, indeed you have the rope of Allah. That is to say, yours is the rope that allows one to reach the sacred way, and you have obtained the supreme means and guarantor of felicity and triumph with eternal bliss in the hereafter. So hold fast to it and keep it firmly in your grip. Safeguard it and strive against your lower self by reciting the Qur'an and listening attentively to it and practicing the commands contained therein. For the Book of Allah Almighty is the clear light, the firm cord, the straight path, the light of hearts and the repose of souls. It is the expander of breasts and the key to felicity for those who hold fast to it. O Allah, expand our breast with the Qur'an and make it the verdant spring of our hearts, the light of our vision and the remover of all our stresses and anxieties. This we ask you of your largesse, O most merciful of the most mer of the merciful. Allahumma amin. It's a beautiful passage. It's been at least an hour. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. In tatluha khifatan min harri nari ladha, atfatta nara ladha min wirdiha ashabimi. Ashabimi. If you recite them out of fear of a blazing fire's heat, from their cool wells they will quench the blazing heat. Them again is the ayat, the ayat, the verses. If you recite the verses, seeking that they will be a means by which the heat of the fire of hell will be extinguished, then they will extinguish that fire. They will put out the cool of the verses, will put out that fire. The intention, the intention then is the, uh, is what carries the person. The intention is what carries the person. It's not mentioned here, but, um, and to understand. He, he emphasizes here the importance of understanding. 
He says, uh, our master Sayyidina Ali said, there is no good in a recitation devoid of contemplation. And there is no good in worship devoid of understanding the law therein. And, you know, someone might look at that and be like, well, it's so hard to really understand. It's, it is and it isn't. Right? Like we can always, thank you, Anas. Uh, we can always read translation. We can always learn the commentary of the most commonly recited verses. Uh, we could attend a class, for example, that goes through the tafsir of Juzamma, and then after it finishes, Juzamma goes to Juz Tabarak. Even if it takes us two years to go through a Juz and a half, it's still useful. It's a good thing. We can learn that knowledge, and that and then we can really connect with those verses. Uh, <laughs> Someone, I read someone's Facebook post today They said that their father, alhamdulillah, just finished last week His tafsir of the entire Qur'an it Took him 20 years He was teaching tafsir for 20 years He finished the entire Qur'an So the following week, what did he do? He started from the beginning He's going again <laughs> So I told Muslima I was like, at your pace, mashallah It's going to take you like 60 years to finish the tafsir <laughs> it's been Like two years on a juz and a half So 40, 50 years from now, she might finish the tafsir. Inshallah, Allah give you tawfiq. That would be amazing. So, to get the understanding. And to get the understanding then, allows us to really benefit from the, from the book. And uh, he mentions here the fire of, of hell, and that the coolness of the verses would put out that fire. But, you know, I think it's also important to think that uh, there are fires that we have inside Fires that relate to uncertainty Fires that relate to questions that we have uh, Difficulties that we might face Whatever it might be There are fires that we have inside And when we recite the Qur'an And we study the Qur'an And we intend to find the solutions to the things that we're facing in the Qur'an And the Qur'an is a shifa Qur'an is a shifa It's a healing for what is in the hearts and so it can also cool the fire that we might have in our in our hearts. An interesting story here. I'll read you it. As always, take any story you wish with a grain of salt. If you like it and you feel motivated by it, alhamdulillah. If you don't like it and it feels weird to you, Alhamdulillah. Just go to the next page. Everything will be fine. So the story is the following. Now let me read what came here before it. It is related that Al-Hasan al-Basri spent an entire night standing in prayer and reciting Surah Al-Naba, repeating it over and over while weeping. Over and over, repeating Surah Al-Naba. Al-Yuri said, our Shaykh Al-Ustad Abu Sahl Rahimahullah said In public teaching sessions there was a discussion in which invocation and recitation were compared and the question was asked which of the two is more beneficial and which leaves a deeper impact on the heart so the question is what's better for your heart and what's more beneficial is it the dhikr or is it the qira'ah reciting of the Quran or making dhikr rem remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, the shaykhs among the Sufis enjoin invocation and prefer it to recitation because remembrances are oft repeated, which they maintain leaves a deeper impact upon the heart. 
I spent a good portion of the night thinking about this and considering which of the two is more beneficial. I retired to my bed without coming to a reliable conclusion on the matter. And after I fell asleep, I had a dream in which someone said, Arise and sing. What shall I sing? I replied. The person told me to sing. When lovers are unable to meet, there is no communication better than a book. When lovers are unable to meet, there is no communication better than a book. And he said, when I had awoken, I said to myself, that was a message from Allah to teach me that reciting his book is the most meritorious act by which one can draw near to him and more beneficial than invocation. And this is actually said in other works as well. That uh, recit if it, like all things considered, recitation is better than dhikr. And one of the reasons they give for that is that it, the recitation is dhikr. Allah refers to the book as dhikr. So the recitation is dhikr. And it is dua. So th this is the conversation. Which one is better? Dhikr or qira'a or dua? And oftentimes it says uh, Quran, then dhikr, then dua. Is like the hierarchy, so to speak. But important thing to note about this and you know, just keep in mind is that the general situation may not apply to a particular person in their case. So this is why Sayyidina Ibn Al-Ta'ala radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said, Tanawa'at ajnasu al-ahamal li tanawa'i waridat al-ahwal that the, um, the categories of deeds are varied because the states of the people are varied. The categories of the deeds are varied because the states of the people are varied. So it might be that one person needs to recite Qur'an, it might be that one person needs to make dua, it might be that another person needs to make dhikr. That's totally fine. You shouldn't, like, like for example, if you're sitting at home and you have some extra time, and you're like, huh, I think I really want to make dua right now. And, and then you think to yourself, but the Qur'an is, reading the Qur'an is better than dua, so I'm going to force myself to read Qur'an. And then you force yourself to read Qur'an and you don't really enjoy it. For whatever reason, like, just to be honest, we're not going to make takfir on anyone. Maybe you don't really enjoy the experience as much as you were hoping. Because you should have made dua. Like, that was what you, that's, that's, it's like when you had a craving for something, you take that craving. It's a, it's a good thing to do. Use the dua. Also, some people don't understand what they're reciting. So dua is better for them. Dhikr is better for them. So on and so forth. Many different possibilities. Like the pool, they brighten the faces of the sinful, though they had come to it as black as charcoal. So the idea here is that the, that the person, even if they're sinful, when they come to the Qur'an with sincerity, the Qur'an will illuminate their face. The Qur'an will brighten their face. The Qur'an will brighten their heart, regardless of what they bring to it. Because that's the power of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ, he taught us that when a servant commits a sin, a black spot is inscribed in his heart or her heart. And if they express remorse and seek forgiveness, the heart is polished, thereby removing the spot. But if the black spot continues to grow larger, it will spread till it covers the entire heart. And this is the stain that is mentioned in the Qur'an. Uh, Nay, that which they earned has been brought a stain to their hearts. So when we do bad, it darkens our spiritual heart. When we do good, 
it illumines our spiritual heart. And what and, and this impacts everything. As we said, Miraran wa takrarin. This impacts everything. Everything that you interpret in life is infected by this. It cannot be overemphasized. We do not believe as Muslims that the brain is the only thing that understands the world. But that the brain and the heart understand the world together. And that the heart is part of the faculty by which human beings understand. This is clear in the Quran. You know, they have Qulubun la yafqahuna biha. They have hearts by which they don't understand. So the heart is part of the faculty of understanding. So if the heart is covered with darkness, it will impact everything that we see. Sometimes you see, uh, I give you a simple example. When I, when I first was coming around the Muslims, I came to the MSA. I wasn't a Muslim. I came to the MSA and these people were like really nice to me. You know, can we do this for you? Can we do that for you? If I visited them, they'd like cook food for me, send stuff home with me, like whatever, help me with class, whatever it might be. And I was 100% convinced that these people were trying to hustle me. Like from my, from my background, I was like, they're for sure trying to take advantage of me, but like, as long as I know that, then <laughs> it's like, it's okay. I'll still benefit from whatever I'm benefiting and I'll just keep my eyes open. And I realized over extended experience that that wasn't what was happening. What was happening is that they were, these were just really good people that were sincerely doing something good for me and they really didn't want anything in return. But because my heart was filled with darkness, the way that I see what they did is completely different. Okay? Now there's some things they're not as negotiable, right? Like it doesn't... It's some things you see them, it's not a matter of darkness on your heart or not, it's just bad. It's not because you had some darkness on your heart so you saw the bad, no, it's just bad. Sharia helps us with that, right? So we're not talking about things like that. We're talking about, I'm talking about most, actually things that are good. Like someone might do something good, they might do something that's normal, they might whatever, and all we see from it is like, they have some other angle on it or whatever. This is a disease in the heart. This is a disease in the heart. And, uh, you know, it has many different sources. Sometimes it's because we've been hurt a lot of times. Sometimes it's because we have trauma. Sometimes it's because not only do we have trauma, but our entire people have trauma. So this is the way that we become accustomed to doing things. It's just our, it's our people's culture that we question everything that someone does and we have a suit done for them all the time, bad suspicion of them all the time, and so on and so forth. These are very dangerous things, subhanAllah. Um, and we've talked about it a million times, so I shouldn't have to make the disclaimer again, but I will. That This is, again, it's not referring to things that are clearly wrong. It's not saying that we should be naive. It's not saying that we shouldn't uh, recognize signs of evil when they're in front of us and so on and so forth. We should. But we should also recognize when we might be reading into something when we don't have any reason to. And, you know, that's... Or maybe we might feel inclined to, we might feel like something's off, but we can't really be sure about it. So we don't necessarily throw it away, but we don't make a conclusion from it either. Okay, so this is like a middle ground. And that's okay to stay in the middle ground. Like, I'm not going to take a conclusion on this. It feels a little bit off. I have people, for example, like there's, I'll be really honest, there's a sheikh that I know. He's so good in the things that he says. That I can't decide, I'm still, up to this point, I can't decide if he's for real or not. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, either this person is really, really incredible, 
or they're fake. I can't tell. And because I've seen like so much bad stuff, I don't really trust that easily. So like, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I don't have any, I have zero reason to believe that any of it is not true. And yet I'm still like, I don't know. And I'm gonna stay in I don't know until I feel just, it's okay. If he's from, if, if he is what he is, alhamdulillah. And if he's not, then Allah yakfina sharra. May Allah protect us from people. Okay? I have no idea why I'm saying that. Black on the person's heart and the, the faculty of understanding things. وَكَالصِّرَاتِ وَكَالْمِزَانِ مَعَدِيلَةً فِي الْقِسْدُ مِنْ غَيْرِهَا فِي النَّاسِ لَمْ يَقُمِ I want to finish the chapter. Inshallah, I'll move quickly. Like the traverse and like scales in justice, true justice among men cannot be upheld from any other source. It's an important point. Very important point. So now he's saying these verses, they're true the way the sirat is true. And they're true the way that the mizan is true. These things from the Day of Judgment, the, the traverse, the, the, the bridge that we cross to get to, to get to paradise. Inshallah, may Allah make it easy for us. And the scale that weighs the deeds. These things are absolutely true, and these verses are true. And they are also the means by which we know what is true and what is just. Just like when we see, this, when we see the bridge and we see the scales, we'll know what is true and what is just. Those will be absolute indicators of truth and justice. And the Qur'an also is an absolute indicator of truth and justice. This is an extremely important point. Um, we don't, like our understanding of right and wrong is not just haphazard. It's not like whatever I felt like or whatever people felt like or whatever was popular or whatever else it might be. It's, if it's in the Qur'an that this is true and it's good, it's true and it's good. And if it's in the teachings of the Prophet them that it's true and it's good, then it's true and it's good. Do we have to assess whether or not that's the case? How we interpret it? Of course, all of those things. But in the end, the Qur'an is al-Furqan. The Qur'an is what distinguishes between truth and falsehood. It's what tells us where justice actually lies. Uh, and again, yes, we have to interpret. Yes, we have to understand, so on and so forth. But that is the blessing of revelation. That we have clarity on certain things. I mean, imagine if everything was up to our opinion all the time. I'm not even 40. I can, like, if I'm, I'm sure if I sat down for a few minutes and wrote down things that I used to have one opinion on and now I have a different opinion on, I'd have a big list. So the stuff would be changing all the time. You know? So, alhamdulillah for, uh, for Al-Furqan. For Al-Furqan. لا تعجب من حسود راح ينكرها تجاهلا وهو عين حاذق فهم. Do not be amazed at an envious person who denies them the, the verses, feigning ignorance though he has perception and understanding. So there's a couple different possibilities. Someone maybe rejects the Quran. There's a couple different possibilities. One possibility is that they're blinded to its truth because of whatever it is that they've brought to it. And, uh, you know, it's a scary thing. May Allah help us to overcome ourselves. They're blinded to the truth of it because of whatever they bring to it. Another possibility is that they see the truth of it and they still reject it. They see the truth of it and they still reject it. You know, like when Sayyidina Ibrahim, when he, when he destroyed the idols, and then the people asked him who broke the idols, and he told them, ask, ask the big one. You know, it, it might know. And they looked at the big one, and it says, the Qur'an says, for a moment they realized 
that what Ibrahim was saying was true. And then in the next moment, they said, build a fire and throw him into it. And this is, subhanAllah, these, we have moments in life like this, where we realize that like something is actually true, and now I have a choice what I want to do about it. Maybe I was against it for whatever reason. I rejected it for whatever reason. I didn't want to submit to it for whatever reason. And I have that moment where it's like, now you have a choice to be made. And you know, may Allah help us to, to make the right choices in those moments. Because we don't want to be like this. Look what Abu Jahan said. He said, we and Banu Abda Manaf were both given nobility. They sacrificed animals for the pilgrims and we sacrificed as well. They provided food for the pilgrims and we provided food as well. They freed slaves and we freed some as well. But then, just as we were about to overpass them, overcome them, they proclaimed, there is a prophet among us who receives revelation from the heavens. How can that be outdone? By Allah, we will never believe in him. <laughs> By Allah, we will never believe in him. SubhanAllah. You know, he says, so this is sometimes people are like that. You know, someone might look at the Muslims and be like, you know what, there, there's something about what they have. And it's true. And it's right. And it's good. And now they're just brown. I don't really want to throw my lot in with brown people. There's people who are like that. You know, may Allah protect us from them. In the Muslim community, you have this kind of thing too, by the way. Don't think that we're free from such things. I, I literally heard someone one time talking about uh, the idea of a lot of prisoners converting to Islam. And they literally said, like, why can't Allah guide other people? Because, like, you know, why does he have to guide these poor black people, basically? Can't, they, can't, can't Allah guide other people? This is disgusting, right? Of course this is disgusting. But Allah, Allah decides to give whatever He wills to whomever He wills. And Allah has decided to give Islam to huge numbers of incarcerated people in the worst parts of the underbellies of this horrible system that sometimes plagues certain people in this country. That's the reality of it. People have been beaten down and broken down their entire lives and Allah gives them Islam and they're honored by it. And they take it to levels that people who were born with it and lived with it and studied it aren't even coming close to. You know, may Allah, uh, you know, la on Allahi ahada. But people like Amin at ICOI, people like others, uh, maybe I shouldn't mention their names, but you can watch the videos. Watch like Forgotten Believers uh, from about Taiba Foundation, Sheikh Ramin Sur, and the work that they do. I mean, uh, it's really incredible. You see, like Taiba Foundation takes people in prison through the Mauritanian scholar curriculum. At least some of it. Like you have people, they learn Arabic, they memorize text, they come out like, like shuyukh, very like mu'tadil in their behavior, they're well balanced in their behavior and their knowledge, so on and so forth. I mean like, anyways, I don't want, but like Amin at ICOI, when, when he first started coming to ICOI, he started working at ICOI, I told him, when I'm not here, you should be leading Salat. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm just, I'm just in the office. I'm okay. But like, he, like from what I recall, he like, he's memorized things. He's not just sitting in the office organizing stuff and whatever. Like he was a serious Talib Ilm. You know, he studied, he studied fiqh, he studied different disciplines. But very humble, like not putting that in people's face or anything. Allah protect him and his family.
I'll stop here. I'll have to stop. We're not going to finish this section. May Allah give us tawfiq to uh, you know to worship him and to seek him in these special and blessed days. Um,